Earl Plumley found himself outside wondering what was going on. After a gigantic explosion, dust hung in the air like an atmosphere, and he heard the distant sound of machine gun fire. He was no stranger to firefights, as he had served in the Marine Force Recon before joining the Army's elite special forces. Other soldiers retreated within their bunkers for a mandatory lockdown. The terrorists had also taken out the generators in the camp, so nobody had electricity or lights. Plumley wasn't about to go back inside, so he looked for a way to take the fight back to the enemy. His answer came in the form of a Toyota truck that came screeching to a halt nearby. One of the soldiers had been delivering mail in the camp, and because it was the only operating vehicle, it became a moving target for all the Taliban invaders who peppered it with bullets. The driver leapt out of the cab, and the keys were still in the ignition. A smile spread across Plumley's face as he saw his chance. Nate Apkemeyer, another operator with the 1st Special Forces, ran up beside Plumley and said that he would drive. They both looked at each other, knowing they had the same intention in mind. Nate put the truck into gear and slammed on the gas. A figure suddenly appeared out of the dust and motioned for them to stop. It was Drew Busick, the company's intelligence officer. Get off that four-wheeler, you're gonna get shot up, Plumley shouted. Hop in with us! The three Green Berets then sped off into the unknown and had their minds set on supporting their fellow soldiers by any means possible. This podcast is about heroes in military and law enforcement. Some gave their service for America and served in the armed forces. Some have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom and others protected the local community and died in the line of duty. Our lives would be a whole lot different if it weren't for the hard work and sacrifice of these brave men and women. They could have gone on to live lives that were less dangerous. However, they dedicated themselves to your protection. If you ever have the pleasure of talking to one of them, they'll tell you, I'm not a hero, but I have the honor of walking beside a few. Others will say, the real heroes are those who didn't make it back home. This episode is dedicated to the U.S., Polish, and Afghan soldiers who fought in the Ghazni Forward Operating Base Battle on August 28, 2013. During one afternoon on August 28, 2013, Andrew Busick was chilling with his fellow Green Berets in the NATO FOB Forward Operating Base in Ghazni Province, Afghanistan, when a huge explosion rocked the entire building. Normally, explosions were a regular part of the day for these hardened Special Forces veterans, However, this wasn't a training exercise. They were in a war zone. Reality hit really quick when they went outside to see what was going on. There was a haze of dust floating in the air, and they saw other soldiers also emerging from their buildings. Earl Plumley looked over his shoulder and then saw a towering mushroom cloud that rose several thousand feet into the sky. The Green Berets then heard the distant staccato of a Russian-made PKM heavy machine gun. The Taliban militia were behind this chaos. They had just gouged a 60-foot gap in the FOB stronghold by disintegrating a gargantuan 4,000-pound car bomb through the exterior fortifications. Later, it was discovered that the Taliban had the inside help from some of the locals who worked within Ghazni FOB. They had identified FOBs in Afghanistan that were closing and planned attacks on such bases where the presence of coalition forces was minimal. Weeks prior to the initial attack, the Taliban started testing the vulnerabilities of FOB Ghazni. 
by initiating minor small arms attacks on the base. The soldiers within Ghazni could almost predict the exact time of day these attacks would occur. All it took was one bullet fired into the camp and everyone would be placed on a mandatory lockdown for four hours. This frustrated the coalition forces because they were giving the enemy exactly what they wanted. During these lockdowns, the Taliban would observe where the soldiers were positioning themselves so they would know the weak points they could eventually attack. They knew the parts of the base that would have the least amounts of resistance and set their sights on the eastern wall. After the huge explosion and with the damage done, ten enemy insurgents came surging into the gaping hole armed with suicide vests, grenades, RPGs, and AK-47s firing wildly, attempting to take out any of the 1,400 soldiers and civilians as possible who dwelled within the base. During the utter confusion, a faint attack took place simultaneously on the western wall of the FOB. This was done to divert other resources in that direction who would weaken the compound's fighting forces. It was a good day for the Taliban fighters up to this point. They had successfully breached the eastern wall and executed another attack on the western part of the compound. The only thing that stood between the Taliban and their objective of destroying the airstrip located inside the compound was a handful of U.S. Army Special Forces soldiers and several Navy SEALs. That should be enough to scare the beards off their faces. However, these special operators had just been interrupted during their day off, probably comparing beards, cleaning their weapons, or just working out. And things were about to get serious really quick. Mark Colbert, a 23-year veteran, Chief Warrant Officer 3 from Spokane, Washington, was the first to respond. He had a clear line of sight of the eastern section of the FOB and knew that the commotion wasn't a rocket or a mortar. He grabbed his rifle and took off as soon as he realized what was going down. As soon as he was outside, he hitched a ride on an ATV driven by a Navy SEAL and another Army Special Operator and accelerated in the direction of gunfire. As soon as the men arrived on scene, they were found in the middle of an intense firefight with Taliban warriors intent on doing one thing, annihilating any and all enemy. Contrary to popular belief, Taliban fighters are not cowards. They are card-carrying, devious, ferocious, inventive, well-trained and well-armed combat veterans with no regard for their own lives. Despite how many battles U.S. special operators have been in, they have never want to be outnumbered by these bearded savages, spraying bullets at them from 30 feet away. Colbert and the other operators took out three of them. However, they were very exposed in the open and attempted to hide behind some cover to get out of the waves of gunfire coming at them. The operators turned a corner only to find themselves staring down six more Taliban. Voices shouted, guns went off, bullets whizzed by. In the aftermath, the SEAL received a bullet to his Kevlar helmet and one in the leg and hit the deck with non-life-threatening injuries. Disregarding his own safety, Colbert pulled a 180, completely exposing himself to the enemy, and pulled the wounded SEAL from the volley of bullets. After the three were in relative safe cover, Colbert realized he had also taken a bullet to the leg. Now they were pinned down at near point-blank range, with only their rifles and pistols as protection. Their hope was dwindling until they heard the roar of a 236-horsepower, specially-equipped, non-standard Toyota Tacoma TRD pickup truck bearing down at them at breakneck speed. Controlling this specially-built machine of death was none other than Sergeant First Class Nate Apkemeyer, who brought with him two other Green Beret friends, Sergeant First Class Andrew Busick and Staff Sergeant Earl Plumley. 
All operators began discharging their rifles with supreme accuracy at the oncoming Taliban. Abgemeyer opened the throttle and barreled toward his three friends who were desperately fighting off the enemy. With this new diversion, almost every Taliban weapon was trained on the Toyota truck, peppering the armored sides with automatic weapons and small arms fire from two directions. Some bullets found their way into the interior of the truck, while others ricocheted off the undercarriage. At one point, a 30mm grenade was lodged into one of the headlights. By an act of God, it never went off. Finally, the pickup truck, full of hardline, bearded green berets, arrived near Colbert and the other operators. Busick acted quickly and disembarked from the truck bed. As he began providing covering fire, hammering away at the enemy, Apgemeyer and Plumley continued pushing forward, closing the gap within 50 feet of the enemy. When he was satisfied with the distance, Apgemeyer pulled the e-brake and spun the truck at a 90-degree angle to give cover for those behind him, then exited the vehicle. He immediately opened up with his M4 rifle. However, Plumley's rifle had jammed. Instead of trying to clear the malfunction, he made a split-moment decision and engaged the enemy with his Green Beret-issued Beretta M9 pistol while sprinting 50 feet across the open directly toward the enemies. After the two sides engaged several rounds of ammo, Plumley was surprised that he had no holes in him. He continued to engage the fighters and hid behind an empty water container. He was in trouble, though. He didn't have enough pistol ammo, and his rifle was jammed, so he took out a grenade and tossed it at the fallen insurgents to make sure they were dead. Miraculously, the grenade fell under the hip of one of the fighters, who decided to begin shooting back at Plumley. Earl took cover and started clearing the malfunction in his rifle when the grenade went off, obliterating the threat. All of the fighters had vacated the immediate area around Plumley, and he started thinking about his next option when he heard several snaps above his head. Behind him, sand and dust sprouted up from the holes that appeared in the wall. He looked in the direction of the gunfire and saw an enemy fighter about 100 meters in the distance. He immediately dropped to his knee, brought his gun up, aimed, and pulled the trigger. To his surprise, the enemy exploded. Earl started looking around for a tank from the Polish army who shared the base with the U.S. soldiers. With none in sight, he finally realized he had just shot a suicide bomber. Busick fell in line right beside him, and both operators took the fight directly to the enemy, who either died of heart attacks at the bravery of these U.S. soldiers, or suddenly wondered why they couldn't move their limbs as a NATO-issued 7.62mm rimless bottlenecked rifle cartridge blew out the back of their skulls. After the critical situation was attended to and the gunfire temporarily ceased, the Green Berets saw more Taliban headed their way and knew they were in for another firefight. For another hour, combat surged all over the airstrip. Busick was on the radio controlling fire teams to take out the enemy and push them back. The goal was to defend the breach in the eastern wall against another enemy onslaught and to protect the airstrip from further enemy attack. With bullets whizzing by their ears and more suicide Taliban exploding in very close proximity, the Green Berets continued mounting their assault on the enemy. At one point, Busick went nearly deaf when a Taliban warrior exploded his suicide vest nearby, instantly killing a U.S. soldier. After the dust settled, Busick realized a shrapnel was embedded in his leg, where it still remains today. His training kicked in, and he cauterized the wound by rubbing dirt on it. Army training prepares you for a lot, Busick said later. 
At that point in time, when you have that amount of action going on, you revert back to what you've been trained on. You train enough, it becomes muscle memory, so you end up not having to think about it. He was soon back in the fight, taking the heat to the enemy. The Green Berets of the 1st Special Forces Group weren't the only heroes on this day. After hearing the deafening explosion go off in the Eastern Wall, Staff Sergeant Michael Olis, a 24-year-old infantry soldier with the 10th Mountain Division out of Fort Drum, New York, did a head count of his soldiers. He then searched for casualties in the building affected by the explosion and advanced toward the sound of combat. Along the way, he found another coalition soldier, Polish Army Lieutenant Karol Kuperka. They then progressed toward the fight carrying only their rifles, with no additional protective equipment. The two soon joined forces with other U.S. and Polish soldiers and supported the fight to repel the Taliban rebels. In the midst of the fierce engagement, a Taliban insurgent wearing a suicide vest rounded the corner. Alice fired on the opponent, incapacitating him, but he was still able to set off his suicide bomb. With complete disregard to his own life, Alice, who wasn't wearing any body armor, placed himself in between the suicide bomber and Lieutenant Kirpika. After the bomb went off, Aulis was in serious condition, and Kirpika suffered from shrapnel wounds in both legs. Earl Plumley, who was nearby, quickly assessed Aulis's wounds and fixed him up as best as he could before Aulis was taken to the FOB's infirmary. Unfortunately, he later succumbed to his injuries. Soon, additional NATO forces arrived on scene with a team of five operators from the Jedinowska Weskowa Grom Special Forces from Poland and a few soldiers from the U.S. Army's 10th Mountain Division. When all was said and done, every member of the Taliban invading unit was crushed. Realizing there was still fighting over in the western wall of the NATO base, Busik and a few of his brothers-in-arms hustled over there to continue the fight. Once the battle was over, almost a dozen enemy lay dead on the east side of the base. Four Afghan police officers and two Afghan civilians were also killed. Staff Sergeant Michael Aulis was the only U.S. casualty. He posthumously received the Silver Star, which was upgraded to the second highest medal, the Distinguished Service Cross, six years later. He was also awarded with the Polish Army Gold Medal the highest honor a foreign soldier can receive from a NATO ally for his heroic act. Lieutenant Karol Kurpika later named his firstborn son after Michael Aulis. It was because of Aulis's sacrifice and the fearless actions of Busik, Colbert, Plumley, Apkemeyer, and the other defenders, Green Berets and Navy SEALs alike, that the invading Taliban forces never arrived at the other edge of the airfield. Busik and his three fellow Green Berets even wrote a letter to Toyota of North America to thank them for constructing such a great truck. In February 2014, at a ceremony in the Cary Theater at Joint Base Lewis-McChord, Washington, he and Colbert were awarded with a silver star, and both received Purple Hearts. At first, Plumley received the Distinguished Service Cross that was upgraded to the Medal of Honor on December 16, 2021. Apkemeyer received the Bronze Star for Valor. Ten additional U.S. soldiers who fought in the Ghazni FOB battle received medals during the award ceremony. The following received Bronze Stars. Andrew Nivala, Aaron Hammond, Joseph Ju, 
Christopher Zaros, and Alexander Hain. The following received the Army Commendation Medal for Valor. Colton Bowder, Joshua Wasonen, Brian Culver, Kirk Medina, and Vincent Walker. While Busick was accepting his Silver Star, he looked out on the gathered crowd and said, We don't do our job for awards or accolades. We just do it to serve. Ever the humble gentleman, Colvert nodded and said, We were in the right place at the right time to react, and it was necessary. What these soldiers showed was not only acts of extreme courage and bravery. They displayed tremendous acts of skill, initiative, and fortitude, all wrapped up in one event. U.S. Army Colonel Patrick Robinson, commander of the Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force Afghanistan, said, Most people probably would not have taken the risks they did, exposing themselves to the enemy in the open with no cover. But they were only thinking about engaging the enemy, not their personal safety. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Remember My Name podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please email me at RememberMyNamePodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at RememberMyNamePodcast and Twitter at RMNPodcast. Now take a moment and remember these names. Earl Plumley, Nate Apkemeyer, Drew Busick, Mark Colvert, Michael Aulis, Carol Kirpica, Andrew Navala, Aaron Hammond, Joseph Jew, Christopher Zaros, Alexander Hain, Colton Bowder, Joshua Wasonen, Mark Culver, Kirk Medina, and Vincent Walker. <laughs>